Welcome to the Calvary Podcast, Lenten Preaching Edition, a ministry of Calvary Episcopal Church, recorded live in Memphis. The Calvary Podcast is weekly sermons, but also conversations, reflections, and provocations about the mystery of God and what it means to be human in the world in need of repair. May the words of my mouth the meditations of all of our hearts. Be acceptable in thy sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So it's so nice to be back with you today. And I want to thank you all for the invitation to be part of the 99th year of this Linton series. And the Waffle House, which I got to experience yesterday, and the wonderful salad plate where I had tomato aspect, which was made often by my grandmother when I was growing up, but I had not had it for literally 30 years. And as I shared yesterday, my grandmother was from right outside of Memphis in Milan, so now I know where she learned to make that tomato aspect. Um, I also just want to say a big thank you to Paul and to Ruthie. I got uh, a good barbecue last night. I got to walk down Beale Street, and I got to go to the Peabody and at least see where the ducks are when they walk. Um, But I didn't get to see the ducks, but I did get a text from a friend this morning um, who said, you're in Memphis, have you seen the ducks yet? And I, I didn't even know until last night that ducks existed. So this was a... This was an affirmation of, of, of how many people across the country know of and love the welcoming, creative, quirky, and embracing beauty of this place where you all live. Amazing, amazing. And I also want to say just a word of... Uh, Thank you, especially to Paul, for um, going forth from seminary and becoming such a wonderful pastor. There's nothing that pleases a professor more than to have the experience of being present to the minimal, but nonetheless given fruits of your labor in standing in the places where your students become ministers. So it's just a a gift uh, for me to be here with Paul, who was a great student, and you, it's not hard to imagine. I'm not just saying that because he's sitting right there. Um, I also want to, before I get started, I just have to say uh, thank you to Suzanne Henley, who I know is joining us by live stream. And this morning I received, as I know many of you have, Um, her prayer prompt stones. Um, Suzanne, thank you for that. I have it in my pocket now. So yesterday I preached about a great story where the friends cut a roof in the hole to get their sick friend down to see Jesus. It's It's a story from the Gospels that you can't help but find a great sermon to preach from. I make it a practice Uh, when I'm preaching, to always follow the lectionary, and that was yesterday's lectionary passage. Today, however, 
I decided to choose the passage from Paul. And this is the reason why I choose to preach from the lectionary, because it doesn't always give me passages I love or passages I even understand. It plops right in front of me some of the most mysterious and frustrating parts of our scriptures. And that is true for today's scripture. This passage is a doozy. Makes your head spin if you go back and read it slowly and think about all the turns and twists Paul is making in this third chapter of 1 Corinthians. You have to keep in your mind as you read it that later on we're going to get that beautiful passage about love. That's a powerful passage about how love binds us together. Love is patient, love is kind, love does not put on airs. But in this passage, Paul is not in the love mood at all. He's trying to set us straight about some very basic facts about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And he does that by flipping upside down many of the things that we come to think of as simply true. So the passage itself goes back and forth between beautiful statements that we use every day. He begins with describing how we are temples that hold the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is within us. What a beautiful embodied image, you know, of we are not here and God is here, but the Spirit of God is inside of us, and it's such an embodied image. Paul doesn't say, oh, God just exists in our heads where we have confessions of faith or where we pray from. No, God is in us, in all of our incarnate flesh. Beautiful passage. And he ends the whole section by saying in some of the most powerful words in the entire scripture, remember, you belong to Christ. And Christ belongs to God. You belong to God. The temple that you are. And all of this belongs to you. Life, death, the world, the present and the future, they are yours in Christ. They belong to you because you belong to Christ, because Christ belongs to God. We belong to God and all that is belongs to God and there we all belong together. But then it has some statements that take you in a little bit different direction. Uh, it contains some statements that you just can't help but smile at, particularly given the day and age in which we're living in, that come right out and say, do not trust your human leaders. They are full of it, is basically what he says. And he says it in crass language. He lays it down there, do not trust them. 
They think they are wise, do not trust their strategies. In order to be wise, you must become foolish. And then he goes into what is clearly one of the most complicated parts of this whole passage. Having told us we are temples of God, having told us we belong to God and life and death and past and present and future and the world is all in God, embraced. And affirming what many people think, don't trust your politicians, he comes back and he says, this is not just true for politicians and leaders. Let no one think they are, are wise. Let no one think they are wise. For the wisdom of the world is foolishness to God. And then he says that line, you must become a fool to be wise. You must become a fool to be wise. Paul is clearly giving us some confusing admonitions. The all-embracing love of God, it sweeps down and swirls around and goes through our bodies, the present, the future, the world, all that is, life and death, all held in God. What a powerful proclamation of the infinite breadth and scope of the love of God. You can almost feel in Paul's words that, that golden light of grace radiating from all that exists, enveloping us and enveloping our lives. It's a prayerful, powerful moment. And then he tells us not to trust our leaders. You can kind of get on board with that. Um, Especially at this moment in time, I'm sure every single person in this room has a list of the leaders that they don't trust going in your own head. In fact, we live in a moment in time where this country is so riven by divides. That list is most likely in your head, long and detailed and full of not just not trusting leaders, but vindictive thoughts about their leadership. And not just here in this country, but how can one not hear those words of Paul at this moment in time and not immediately think of Vladimir Putin? Do not trust the leaders. And as that list is rolling through our heads, I like to think of it as this, the third shoe drops. So you too must become foolish to be wise. With so much obvious foolishness in our world, it's hard to figure out why it's good to be foolish. And I think this is especially offensive to people of faith who take some comfort in believing, I'll speak out of uh, my own location, which I share with this church, which is coming out of that 
do good deeds, be rational, embrace the world sentiment of the mainline traditions in the US. Why would we be told to be foolish when it is our open-hearted rationality that describes how we best serve God? To be foolish, does this mean that we're not supposed to follow science and get vaccinated? Does this mean you're not supposed to commit your church life to community service, the waffle shop? Does this mean giving up caring about children? Does this mean you need to let go of the wise voice that gives you guidance in some of the hardest times? Does this mean that we're supposed to walk away from the wisdom held in our Bibles? and held in the belief systems, the songs, the hymns, the music? Does this mean we're supposed to be foolish in the face of our own church leaders? Paul? <laughs> How are we supposed to make sense of this in a context like this, where things are well-ordered and we like to think, and it's true, Reason and goodwill abound. It's easy to condemn the wisdom of those we disagree with, but in this passage, we, nice, rational, loving people, are called to become fools. And most importantly, in this passage, Paul puts himself in that category. So Paul's not stepping back and saying, you know, I'm telling you to become foolish. I'm in there too. What does it mean that the writer of these powerful letters that have so defined the history of Christianity and the depths of the Episcopal tradition and of Christianity across the world, for him to say, don't trust my wisdom. Don't trust my wisdom. Become a fool. This passage if you really take it to heart, leaves you off balance because it calls into question everything that holds you together. I like to think of it as it's one of those passages that pushes the world off kilter. Even the good we know gets dismantled. It's the garments of our goodness that hold us together, the clothes and crown are our reason that gives us direction is in a sense taken off of us. And we're left being called to be foolish. It's very easy to quickly move past this and say, well, that's just one of the things that's very hard for us to understand. But I believe, particularly in the time of Lent, it's necessary to pause and take this in deeply before God our wisdom is deceit let your certainties be undone for relatively high functioning 
rational, economically safe enough people, this is very hard to do. And Paul hits us with it straight on. I find it helpful in making sense of what Paul is trying to do in this passage to think about the community that Paul was actually addressing. He was not speaking to a stable, well-put-together, rationally unfolding, doctrinally correct, and embracing of the good community. The community in Corinth was a mess. It was a mess of divisions. People were fighting over everything. And what was running straight through the middle of all these divisions was the church had begun by mass conversions of poor people, enslaved people, women, marginal people, those for whom the dominant culture had not given them a word of hope. It was populated with the foolish by the dominant world's standards. But Paul's success had also led into this group now a smaller but powerful group of extremely wealthy people who were coming in and interpreting Paul's message, wanting to create order, which is, as any community organizer, minister, mayor, community leader, community uh, block, um, um, safety leader on your block watch, you can give a whole long list of people who in their leadership do the very good work of imposing order. But that's what was happening in Corinth. There were huge fights over what that order was going to be and whether it was even needed and who had the right to claim, quote, wisdom. But think about the people at the bottom. These words that Paul has to say about becoming foolish that are so undoing to me, probably to most of us here, would not have sounded confusing to those who in many ways, when measured by society's standards, have already come undone. Those who are undone. The title of this series is Trauma and Grace, and I teach, this semester actually, I'm teaching a course on trauma, which explores, as part of an understanding of our human condition, what violence, physical and psychological, actually does to people in the many forms that it takes. It doesn't leave us well put together. It doesn't leave us wise. When one is undone by violence in its many forms, perhaps the most painful and disorienting reality that happens is the structures of meaning that hold the world together fall apart. Oftentimes, traumatized people lose the capacity to use language because violent experience comes at us so fast that our brains cannot comprehend it in our frontal lobe before our primitive brain has registered it 
and put us in a fight, flight, or freeze mode. Language takes away, I mean, violence takes away our inherent sense of agency or that we can bring order to the world because the order of the world has just been the very weapon that has harmed you. Many, many who experience overwhelming violence fall into a state of profound dissociation where they leave their bodies and they're split away from the physical self. Imagine what it would mean to say to that community, your body, you are a temple of God. But in a context of traumatic violence, all that you thought and felt you knew doesn't hold. I believe that when Paul is referring to foolishness, he is speaking to these people. And he's speaking to us here as well. Because if you honestly pause and think about the complex character of your life and the lives of those you love, there is not anyone for whom the reality of a violence and a loss does not create those spaces that are out of kilter, that don't make sense, those wounds, deep wounds, often unconscious wounds that live in these bodies that are God's temple. It's those places where we can't make sense of things and nonsense holds the day. So why would Paul find it necessary to speak to the marginal, those who have been cast out, but also to those places in all of us where order doesn't actually hold. To grasp the most central truth of the gospel. Paul is saying to us, you have to let go of all of those mental and physical categories that you use to explain and order, and divide up, and move through the world around you. Because those are going to be, for you, blocks. For good, and many of these are good senses of order that Paul is asking us to step away from. Some of them are, on the face of it, senses of order that we're better off without. But Paul says to us, we use our truths as a way of making sure that God belongs to us. We have been good. We have been ordered. Look at what we have accomplished. We have managed to pull God onto our side. God belongs here. 
And Paul's message is the great reversal of this. We belong to God. We belong to God. We are God's. God reaches towards us and claims us. Wrapping us up in all of that love, God's love is given. That's grace. And grace is called grace because it is a gift that comes to us. It is not something that we earn. It is not something that any parts of our best-thinking minds or our worst-thinking selves does anything to earn. It simply is the gift of God whose spirit moves in the temple that is our lives and encompasses all that is, Paul reminds us, God doesn't belong to you. You can't reach out and grab God. But God has grabbed you, and for order for you to understand this, you have to let go of any sense of grabbing that you may have hidden away in the strongest or the most broken parts of who you are. Now imagine how this might have sounded to the outcasts who have nothing in their lives, no claim to power or authority or order to accomplish, no claim to grab God. It's obvious that to them, this is great news because they belong. They belong not because of their social status, but because God has claimed them. I belong to God. God loves me. And in belonging to God, the world is the place that I belong in its vast nature and time and space. But it's harder, it's harder, and I speak for myself in this, for those of us gathered here to be fools. It's harder to be fools, but that means at the end of the day, the most precious gift of the gospel, the most precious gift that sits at the heart of the Christian proclamation, the most precious gift that has ever been given or will be given is hard, if not impossible, for us to comprehend that God has reached out and taken us in as God's own. You have to be foolish to let that love claim you. You have to go, let go and let grace do the ultimate work of redemption. Some call it mercy. Some call it saving grace. Some call it just flat out divine love. 
But the beauty is that once you are able to open yourself to the reality that you belong to God and that God doesn't belong to you, you come back and the world around you looks different. Your reason can return. Your goodwill still has a place. But when you step back, having opened yourself to that grace, you recognize in all that you're doing that all of us, all of us are recipients of that grace-filled grasp of love that is divine. And that is a very different, foolish, but powerful place to stand on the word and the truth of that grace. Being fools for Christ by belonging to God. Amen. The Calvary Podcast theme music was composed by Spence Bailey. Special thanks to Robin Banks, Director of Communications at Calvary, and Heidi Rupke, Lenten Preaching Series Coordinator. And thanks to you for listening. If you're curious about Calvary Episcopal Church, we are an eclectic bunch of Christian people who don't all think the same thoughts or dress the same way or vote for the same candidates or even believe all the same things about the mystery of God and what it means to be human. But we do believe that we need each other because of our differences, not in spite of them, and that God calls us into unity, not uniformity. Subscribe to the Calvary Podcast at calvarymemphis.org podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit Calvary in person at the corner of 2nd and Adams in the heart of downtown Memphis, Tennessee.